Stanford University. Thank you. Terry is too kind. I appreciate the invitation. And I also want to say I know of a number of education days. Some universities do, but this one is the one out of all of them that I think is the most directed to the people who matter, which is the patients or consumers. So I really think Terry and his group are to be commended for uh, really adhering and, and wanting to provide uh, access and Im the newest information about where thinking is and what's happy in treatment and that's very directed towards you. So uh, I think we should give a hand really to Terry. Uh, more than almost anyone I know in bipolar research, he's maintained fidelity always to thinking about the patient, always to thinking about what do these findings tell us and where do they go. So I, I, I appreciate that and respect that a lot. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about DSM-5 today. Uh, let me see what my next, I think it's a, this is disclosures, which are important which we do research studies with pharma as well as with the National Institute of Health. Um, I do a little consulting, but not too much, um, and no, not too much to disclose. One of the reasons, of course, is because doing DSM-5, which is um, developed by the American Psychiatric Association, so far it's been about every 20 years. So. Um, you know, it's important in engaging in that work. We, everyone on it sort of severed any relationships we had of consulting and so on in order to create some kind of barrier in our thinking so there wouldn't be any sense of um, intrusion by the more commercial end of things. So a couple remarks on DSM-5, and I'm going to talk about these three areas. I'm also more focused here on bipolar disorder than on unipolar depression, unipolar or major depression. Uh, there have been some big things in the works for major depression, and there's been actually a fair amount of press about a couple of them, including shifting the bereavement uh, exclusion. I think there's been some of the most press on that. And I'm happy to discuss what I understand about those proposals um, afterwards, if people like. So in, in working, I think what Terry said earlier was very true. It's not that the mood disorders are changing. It's that our ability to hopefully capture more um, completely or accurately and in useful and practical manners what people are experiencing is ever getting better. Now, when DSM-5 started, which was five years ago, we started on working on this. It might even be a little longer, but it was at least five. Uh, there was a hope that we would be able to take mood disorders, whether bipolar disorder or major depression, and bring it down not to categories of symptoms, which is historically um, how we've operated and are continuing to operate, but instead to relate it to what the brain is doing. Uh, it quickly became very clear that where our level of understanding of the brain is right now, 2007, 2012, um, we don't yet know enough about how the brain operates that we can take things out of the kind of symptom categories that we use to define um, mood disorders. So that was the hope at the outset. And I think that my hope would be that in 10 years when they do a revision or whatever that time course is, 
I feel, and some of the, Terry, uh, I think, highlighted and pointed to some of the areas of research going on here that are very exciting. My hope is we'll understand more about how the brain is functioning and can relate mood disorders more directly to the brain and also to link it to systems, symptoms. So we're not forgetting what the patient is experiencing, for sure, but also to understand how those symptoms come up. Because they almost certainly will not fit into the categories that define um, mood disorder, you know, bipolar, as we're talking about it now. Now, I didn't put up any uh, slides talking about the criteria, which maybe we should have. But I'm actually just going to talk about the change. So I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm going to be addressing these three areas. And we have just about 10 minutes. I may have a couple minutes for one or two questions, but we'll see. We'll stay on time, because I know there's a lot of speakers. So um, just this is what I've been talking to. The Diagnostic Statistical Manual, as it's called, or now DSM-5, yeah, I think it is important because it serves as the template by which we um, address what patients are experiencing. It serves almost as a research diagram in some sense for unanswered questions and where do we go here. And as I mentioned, it's important that there be ever-increasing fidelity, we hope, to what patients experience, what clinicians see, um, and that those diagnoses can capture that more accurately. And I think importantly, many of the changes you'll see uh, that I'm going to talk about were about um, more accurately capturing people diagnostically. In other words, decreasing false positives, which means somebody's diagnosed as bipolar, but they're not, as well as decreasing false negatives. Someone is diagnosed as unipolar, but they should be bipolar. So a lot of the changes we made were to hopefully improve and help clinicians in the field as well as patients in their education about it. Um, okay, so I'm first going to talk about mixed episodes. So in the DSM-4, a mixed episode is a, a very limited diagnosis. In bipolar, it's only for bipolar 1 disorder, not even bipolar 2 or bipolar NOS. And as you know, bipolar 1 disorder is characterized by having a full manic episode. And bipolar 2 is hypomania with a lot of depression. So um, that's the difference, of course, between bipolar 1 and 2. So to have a mixed episode, you have to meet criteria for a full manic episode, which, as you know, is a pretty extreme state, biologically, psychologically, and a full uh, diagnosis for a major depression episode. So this next slide is from Ellen Frank. And she created this. I think in her original part of this was pink. But um, it shows, I think it captures that while people talk about folks having mixed episodes a lot, full criteria are actually probably rarely met, probably 10% maybe, maybe a little bit more of full manic episodes. Yet on the other hand, I've done studies and other people have done studies, and there's a huge historical literature recognizing there are more complex mixed states people experience all the time. They have depression, but sometimes they feel too energized and maybe more irritable than normal. They're still depressed, 
but now they're pacing, they're easily upset, there's too much energy in the room. So we call that energized depression, and that is a mixed state, for example. Or they're manic or hypomanic, and they get you know, very negative. They also have depression symptoms with the hypomania. So hypomania is not just euphoric, for example. So we felt that the current criteria didn't really capture the spectrum by any means, both historically documented and in more recent studies, uh, that people actually experience. Um, this is kind of a visual uh, picture about the fact that it's almost certainly a continuum between major depression and bipolar, but there's actually not been a bridge in the diagnostic manual that bridges bipolar to unipolar. Diagnostically, they sit in separate silos in some sense. And the effort with the, the change that we're proposing with the mixed specifier now would actually be the first time there's a bridge that in some sense we're capturing the bipolar spectrum between unipolar and bipolar. But to me, what's more important is I think we would be um, um, and you know, verbalize, clearly stating that folks with these dis illnesses have much more complex experiences that we need to take into these experiences into account, that they'll have implications for treatment as well as what the course of illness might be. Um, so I think it's an important structural change that we've proposed. Uh, the way DSM-5 works is, you know, there's the agreement within the mood disorder group, and then it goes to the scientific review committee, and there's about four other committees after that. So we're about halfway through of the approval, and so far it looks like this idea is taking root, and I, I, think, it, I think it will represent an important change for um, folks with the illness. Uh, as I mentioned, I think one of the consequences of not having a more descriptive, informed um, definition of what mixed experiences people have, I think we can expect the specifier is going to be much more used in bipolar. It's unclear how much we will see it in unipolar depression. Some very um, studies with a looser definition say 40% of people in a unipolar uh, depressed episode will have a little bit of hypomania. Other studies say 20%. I think we all agree it's there, but we don't actually know how much it's there. We don't know what the implications for treatment are for unipolar, nor the implications for uh, course of illness. Um, so the hope is, is by including this, we will capture, help people define their illness better. So this is, I'm sure most of you or many of you have read Kay Jamison, who's written so eloquently about her own illness. This is her uh, description of mixed episodes. I felt infinitely worse, more dangerously depressed during this first manic episode than when in my worst of depressions. In fact, the most dreadful I had ever felt in my life, one characterized by chaotic ups and downs, was the first time I was psychotically manic. My delusions centered on the slow, painful deaths of all the green plants in the world, Vine by vine, stem by stem, leaf by leaf, they died, and I could do nothing to save them. All of my images were black and decaying. So, very evocative. That is a full mixed episode, which we don't see usually, but we do see the mixed, I believe, frequently. So, pressing on. So, historically, if you look at the bipolar DSM-5, you'll see that that's not otherwise specified. Those are folks who have a bipolar course, 
who clearly don't fit into unipolar, but they haven't crossed a line to meet criteria for bipolar two, which would mean they'd have to have had a hypomanic episode, not just symptoms, or bipolar one, which means a manic episode, not just symptoms. So bipolar um, NOS can be also a bridge in the continuum from unipolar to bipolar, but in uh, DSM-4, the only, there was no structured, it was all just examples include. So for DSM-5, it's now changed throughout the book to not elsewhere classified. But in here, are just some of the examples, very rapid alteration of mood, recurrent hypomanic episodes, um, but in the current, they're not coded and they can't be tracked. So there's been some effort to propose very specific criteria. Um, in the current book coming up, there's going to be a chapter three or an appendix. So for example, I think it's well recognized both nationally and internationally that many people have short duration hypomania. So they have hypomanic symptoms meeting full criteria, in other words, enough symptoms, but the symptoms don't last long enough. So that's really recognized as a subtype, but hasn't been studied in a prospective diverse population enough to where it's clear that can rise to the level of its own disorder to understand it better. Um, so we're putting that into the appendix to give people an opportunity to study short duration hypomanic folks with that type of NEC. So um, I'm gonna press on. So what is the, one of the things to notice, these are kind of very fine points, but these fine points will affect, I think, all of our lives. And that is, what's the difference between a specifier, because they sound alike, right? Simultaneous symptoms, the mixed symptoms, versus not elsewhere classified. And in the not elsewhere classified, you're talking about more of an admix of symptoms, but they're not occurring at the same time. Whereas in the mixed feature specifier, you're occurring, the symptoms are occurring together. So it's a fine distinction, but important. Also in the mixed specifier, someone is already has a diagnosis of bipolar two or three, two or one, or they have a diagnosis of major depression. Okay. So one of the goals is uh, premenstrual disorder, which was not put into DSM-4, was put into the appendix in the same way as short duration hypomania is, is proposed to go into the appendix. It's still a proposal. And now is, um, PMS is rising to the level of a disorder based on the research in the last 20 years. So that's kind of, it's a very slow, it's like watching a tree grow, and the positive aspect of what Dr. Jamison said. So I want to uh, close with this last bit, um, which is, as you know, for criterion A of bipolar one or two, which is a mood, um, I'm going to skip that. In mood, there has to be a distinct period of abnormally and persistently elevated, expansive, or irritable mood. That's criterion A. That was the only gate. Well, it, if you actually look at criterion B, which is the specific symptoms in A, it was very possible to get diagnosed as bipolar 1 or 2 without actually having the illness. You could meet those criteria without having some of the most fundamental hallmarks, which are an, a, a 
really a big change of circadian rhythms, which is you have a lot of energy, you're not sleeping well, there's a big change in the kind of presence of who someone is in the room. But it, you can look at the criterion B symptoms and you can sort of select someone is moody, they're a little impulsive, they're talking faster, and you can kind of wind them into bipolar disorder. But yet bipolar one and two disorder are very serious lifelong illnesses that have a lot of implications. And we don't want to be diagnosing people, of course, inappropriately who don't have the illnesses. So this is also winding its way through committee. Uh, it looks like it's so far going through pretty well. And we're rec proposing that there'll be increased activity or energy in the criterion A, which is the gate criteria. So if you have a change in mood or if you have a change in energy, you don't get through the gate criteria. You have to have a change in both. And then that will get you into the possibility of making the diagnosis as well as defining the episode. So you have a lot of change in mood. Without any change in energy or change in sleep, I don't think you're going to get into the episode uh, category. Um, so the summary, just we're going to have a mixed feature specifiers proposed. Uh, NOS is a little less changed, but there are now going to be specific criteria proposed for a couple things. I think one of the big changes is the addition of energy and activity. Uh, the general question of has there been a change, so we'll see. That one's still windy its way forward. Uh, so some of the impact, I think all of you know, is this will represent new classification systems throughout all of DSM-5 in many cases. New codes are going to be put on board, new billable options, as well as new FDA targets for drug development. And uh, again, we want to understand the illness. And in the long run, we want to improve our treatment in part through understanding better how the brain is changed during these illnesses. What is going on? What is, what is leading to these clusters that we define as bipolar and unipolar uh, depression? Um, so there is a DSM-5.org, that's Roman numeral 5, um, if any of you would like to look up um, sort of all the specifics of being proposed across um, all the categories. Pretty close on time. So thank you very much, and I'm happy to answer questions in the hall. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.